Freedom in Christ is our theme for 2014. Our current series that we're working on is Free from Fear. And we've been in it long enough now that I hope you realize that we're not talking specifically about terrifying, frightening fear. Uh, We're talking about more than fear, a little bigger definition perhaps. Some other words that might fit are anxiety and worry and intimidation and unsettledness and dread and unease and alarm and distress and apprehensiveness. Uh, If those ring a chime with you that uh, you're not fearful of anything in the sense that you're terrified, but uh, there's some things that worry you. There's some things that you're a little anxious about, some things that distress you. Those are the things we're talking about. Because uh, the reason we're talking about them is because God's frequent command, one of his most frequent commands, is to fear not. And that incorporates all of those words that we just went through. Fear not, he tells people over and over, his people over and over. Uh, Paul explained it this way in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He said, don't be anxious about anything. Don't fear anything. Don't let things distress you. Put in any word you want there. The one he chose was anxious or worry, maybe your translation. Uh, don't be anxious about anything. And his prescription for that was in everything, uh, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Tell God about it. And he says the result of that will be the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's how Paul said to handle it. You see, anxiousness, worry, fear uh, disturbs our hearts and minds. They're not peaceful. They're upset. They're troubled. And Paul said, whatever your problem is, don't be anxious about it. Don't worry about it. Tell God about it. And the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. That's what we're looking for in this series is that the peace of heart and mind for a number of different topics that we've tackled. Uh, Last week we talked about fearing the fall of a nation. We talked about particularly our nation and how most of us love our country to a great degree. Uh, And we maybe these days are uh, fearful for where this country is headed and what's going on and the moral decline and all the things we talked about. And hopefully what we learned from that, that there's a line there uh, between uh, loving your earthly nation and loving your eternal kingdom. And we've got to make sure that we know which one we're pledging allegiance to. Certainly we love our country and can do lots of things for it and uh, about it, but in the long run, our eternal kingdom, the eternal kingdom, is what matters. All right, today, talking about thorns in the flesh. Uh, took that title from Paul's thorn in the flesh, uh, although we don't even know what was wrong with Paul. And nobody knows what that thorn in the flesh was. In fact, we're not real sure, even perfectly sure it was a fleshly physical illness. Uh, We assume it was because of the way he talked about it, but we're not sure what the problem was. But the way I'm using it today is fleshly things. Illness, disease, being incapacitated, being dependent on others, uh, being sick. We fear that 
sometimes. That's something in this life uh, that is fearful or makes us anxious. Now, notice when I listed illness and death and incapacitation and all that, I didn't say death. Uh, I've decided not to cover death in this series, uh, freedom from the fear of death. We are free from the fear of death, and I think that's pretty well settled. I, I don't think most Christians, well, I, I know no Christians should fear death, uh, and I don't think most Christians do. Uh, it doesn't mean we look forward to it. Doesn't mean if we're very young we even think about it much. Uh, but I think when it comes right down to it, there are very few Christians uh, that fear dying. Uh, I mean, we know when it happens, you just go to the best place ever. So it's kind of silly to be afraid of it. Uh, I don't think that's what gives us anxiety or makes us worry or causes us to be distressed. I think it's the things that surround death. Uh, I, I don't fear death. I uh, am anxious perhaps about spending, not being able to spend those years with people, uh, with my family, with seeing my grandchildren grow up. Uh, things like that is maybe what makes me anxious. If you told me I was going to die next week, I wouldn't fear the journey to heaven, uh, but that would make me concerned. Uh, the years that we miss with people, uh, the pain that's involved, probably uh, we fear that in some way. We, we don't know what it is. We don't know what to expect. Uh, just the unknown, not knowing what's coming or, or how we will handle it uh, may make us anxious in some ways, but I don't think the fear of death itself is a problem, so we're not going to talk about that. Uh, those of you in the greatest generation, the generation before mine, uh, I think one of your fears about the end of life and being sick and all that is probably, well, I know it is, is being dependent on others. Uh, you don't look forward to that. You don't want that to happen. Uh, your generation was raised to be independent, uh, to take care of everything yourself. And you, you fear that idea uh, of having to be dependent on others and bothering others. Uh, some churches have ministers that are especially assigned to senior citizens, supposed to look out for them and take care of them. And we've kind of thought about that around here. In fact, we've assigned some folks to, you kind of look out for the senior citizens, see if you can help them with things. And they basically come back and say, none of them want any help. Yeah, they think they can handle everything themselves. Uh, that's just that generation. They take care of it themselves. Now, wait till my generation gets there. You know, we're going to need some help. <laughs> We don't want folks to help us because somebody's supposed to do something for all of us, you know. Um, <laughs> some of the topics in this series, some of the things we've talked about being fearful of may not apply to everyone. This one applies to everyone. Uh, everyone in here that's of any age at all has experience with illness. You may not have had it yourself, 
uh, but you know somebody who does. Somebody in your family, you, you've seen it and you've thought, boy, I hope that doesn't happen to me. Uh, everybody's had experience with it. Uh, this congregation is full of people that have had very serious illnesses and still do. Uh, it comes to all of us. It's everywhere. That I found one list of, I've given you some top ten lists on other topics. I, I found one list of the top killers in this country, the top diseases that kill. Number one is heart disease. Number two is respiratory illnesses. Third is strokes. Fourth is Alzheimer's. Fifth is diabetes. Sixth is kidney disease. And seventh is pneumonia. Uh, we're familiar with those things. They're prevalent. They're around us. They're among us. Uh, all you have to do is look around a little bit. Uh, read a class prayer list. If you're not in a Sunday school class, uh, get a hold of a class prayer list. If you are in a Sunday school class and you, you get it in your email or you get it handed out, it's just amazing. It just goes on and on and on. Either people here or relatives that they have or friends that they have, and this illness and disease is just all around us. I look in the bulletin, see the list of our shut-ins. We've got a lot of folks that, that can't get out. Uh, they're shut in by their uh, illness or their age. Uh, lots of folks dealing with a lot of tough stuff. Uh, and my point is, we, we know that's there, and I don't think any of us really look at that, look at that list of illnesses, or, or think about being shut in, or whatever it is, look at that, and none of us feel like saying, well, bring it on. It won't bother me. You know, I don't fear that. None of us would say that. Uh, it does scare us some. Uh, we wonder how we'd handle it if we were in that situation. Uh, let, let's talk about this freedom from fear of illness, thorns in the flesh, disease, that kind of thing. Um, I put on your handout that fearing illness and disease is natural and inborn. Now, I'm not sure I can prove that particularly, but I think that's right. The way I've reasoned through that and the way I came to that conclusion is, uh, think of it this way. The last people to not fear illness and disease were Adam and Eve. Yeah, until they got kicked out of the garden, then they had to fear it. But the first part of their life, they were the only two people who never had to worry be anxious, fear, whatever word you want to use, about getting sick. It just didn't pertain to them. But everybody since, in fact, after they got out of the garden, them too, but everybody since, all of us have been sick or wounded or dying. That's just the human condition. It's the way we are. But that's not what we're created for. Uh, being sick and ill is not what we were created for, and I think, and once again, I'm, I don't, I have one scripture that I think backs up my contention, but but I'm supposing here. I think it's unnatural for us 
The scriptures, Romans chapter 8, and verse 23 in particular, but uh, let's just read through verse 18, and I'm not sure anybody understands all this means because it's pretty pretty cosmic, Uh, but listen to what Paul says about this world. He starts in verse 18, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Paul says even the creation changed after the fall. And it, it wants to be free. The creation knows that's not how it's supposed to be. Then look at 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, here it comes, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I think inborn somehow in us, is this knowing that illness and disease is not natural. That's not what we were born for. So we fear it. I think it's natural to fear being sick, being diseased, being incapacitated. That's not what we were made for. But whether you agree with that or not, uh, we all do have this anxiousness. Just look at the word itself. This has never hit me before until I thought about looking up a definition of disease. What's disease? Dis-ease. That means it's not easy. It's (laughs) dis-ease. There's no ease there. And I know that's not the technical definition, but it doesn't make things easy. It makes things hard. It disrupts life. It takes control of things away from us. Once we get a disease or we get sick or we're ill with this or that, we don't run things anymore. You know, we do what the doctor says. We do what the medicine lets us do. We do. It changes things. It's dis-ease. And there's lots of bad parts to it. Um, I found a poem about one of the worst parts of being sick in hospitals and doctors. Here's what the poet said. I was sitting here minding my business, kind of letting my mind go slack, when in comes a nurse with a bright sunny smile and a gown with a split down the back. Take a shower, she said, and get ready, and then jump into this sack. What she's really talking about was the gown with the split down the back. They're coming to do some tests, she said. They're going to stretch me out on a rack with nothing twixt me in the cold, cruel world but a gown that's split down the back. Comes only to the knees in front and the sides there is no lack, but by far the greatest shortcoming is that blooming split down the back. Whoever designed this garment for humor had a great knack, but I fail to see anything funny about a gown that's split down the back. 
I hear them coming to get me, the wheels going clickety-clack. I'll ride through the halls on a table in a gown with a split down the back. When I get to heaven, I'll make me no odds if my robe is white, red, or black. The only thing I ask is, please, give me one with no split down the back. (laughs) Some of you understand that was humorous. (laughs) Some of you think this is such a serious topic, you can't laugh, evidently. Uh, Anyhow, that's (laughs) that's why I try not to put too much humor in. You guys just... All right, let's look at King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah is our example for today. Uh, his story is told three different places, Second Kings, Second Chronicles, and he recounted in Isaiah. And what we're looking for in this story, this is a guy that got sick. He also got healed. He also ended up dying. Uh, the whole human story is here in one sense. So what we're looking for as we go through this is a clue to answer our questions. Uh, we want to know why people get sick. Some of you that are sick, ask that. Why me? Well, why did I get this disease? Okay, we're going to look for clues. Why people get sick? We're going to look for who and or what causes sickness, uh, who or what heals, cures us from sickness. Does prayer work? We'll see if we can find a clue to that. Uh, is healing the best answer? Is that what we ought to expect God to always give us? So let's just look through this story very quickly. Uh, you can turn to Isaiah 38 and we'll go together there, but I'll read you the first couple of verses. Uh, let's establish who Hezekiah was. He's one of Judah's greatest kings. Second Kings 18.5 says this. Listen now, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord, and he did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. Now, how's that for a testimony? That's a good king. No better king in Judah. 2 Chronicles 31, verses 20 and 21 also tell us about Hezekiah. writer of Chronicles said, this is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah. Doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. In everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly. And so he prospered. How about that one? This is a good guy we're talking about. That that last one there, Second Chronicles thirty one, that'd be a pretty good epitaph, wouldn't it? That'd pretty be good pretty good to have on your tombstone. In everything he undertook, he sought God and worked wholeheartedly. That's a good epitaph. So he prospered. All right, so here we've got this king doing everything right, serving God in everything he does. Now, over in Isaiah 31, we start 38, we start to learn about his story. Uh, when he was 39 years old, he got sick. Verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you're going to die. You will not recover. That's a trip to the doctor now, isn't it? 
That's what the prophet told him. He said, no hope. Terminal. It's over. Get your house in order. Okay. Now, what did Hezekiah do about that? Well, he prayed. Kind of natural. Uh, that good man, godly man, he prayed. Verses 2 and 3. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Natural, after a death sentence, isn't it? Verses 10 through 14, he, he expounds on his prayer. I said, in the prime of my life, must I go through the gates of death? And be robbed of the rest of my years? I said, I will not again see the Lord. The Lord in the land of the living. No longer will I look on mankind or be with those who now dwell in this world. Like a shepherd's tent, my house has been pulled down and taken from me. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life and he's cut me off from the loom. Day and night you made an end of me. I waited patiently till dawn, but like a lion, he broke all my bones. Day and night, you made an end of me. I cried like a swift or thrush. I moaned like a morning dove. My eyes grew weak as I looked to the heavens. I am troubled, O Lord. Come to my aid. Now, there's a prayer of a dying man. A sick man that's too young to die. I don't want to leave my family. I don't want to leave all the friends I had. You, you, you're breaking me apart like a lion here. Help me somehow, God. Uh, at the same time, this spiritual thing is going on. We've got a physical prescription going on. Look at verse 21. Isaiah told him, Prepare a poultice of figs and apply it to the boil, and he will recover. He evidently had some kind of boil. It was leaking poison into his system or something. We don't know physically what it was. And we don't know why figs fixed it, but Isaiah did. Isaiah said, here's the medicine. This will work. This will fix you. Okay. He got a promise then from God. Verse 4 and 5. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. I'll add 15 years to your life. How about that? He had the death sentence the last time he talked to God. This time God says you get 15 more years. So what did he do? Well, he, he prayed. He praised God for that. Verse 17. Pretty good lesson for us. Sometimes we pray pretty hard while we're looking for the cure. Once things get better, we may forget to keep praying. Hezekiah remembered. He was a good man. He went right back into prayer. Verse 17, surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In other words, that was good for me. I learned something. In your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You put all my sins behind your back. For the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot sing your praise. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, they praise you, as I'm doing today. Fathers tell their children about your faithfulness. The Lord will save me. 
And we will sing with stringed instruments all the days of our lives. This is a good story. We got a man, too young to die, got the death sentence, tried some physical cures, but God also heard his prayers, told him he had 15 more years. He praises God for it. That's where that chapter ends. That's what we know about the old. And what happened later? He's got his extra 15 years, and his life ended in, in death eventually, but without this, the pain and all of that. But during that time, his pride began to take over. And he began to do things that let other nations eventually invade and capture Judah. The way he raised his son, for some reason, Manasseh didn't turn out well. Manasseh, when he took over after his father died, turned everything upside down. Turned the whole country away from God, which led more to the invasion and the captivity. Things didn't come out well overall in the big picture in that extra 15 years. Now, what's our perspective about this? What do we learn from this story? I told you all the things we were going to look for. told you all the things we were going to try to figure out. Why did Hezekiah get sick? We know why he got this boil. We know why God gave him the death sentence. Was it because he was a bad man? He had done something wrong? Sometimes we think that. We think, what have I done to deserve this? What did I do wrong to get this illness? Hezekiah was the best king there ever was. Wasn't about that, evidently. Did God cause it? Or was it just that germ in the air? I mean, sometimes we get things that, a lot of times, I didn't mention this because it's not part of the sermon, but a lot of our illness and pain and disease we cause. Yeah. We abuse this or that or our bodies or whatever. We cause some of it. And we're not talking about that. We're talking about these other things that, how'd he get that? Well, that's what we ask about Hezekiah. How'd he get that? God caused it or just a strange germ floating around in the air? What healed him? Did the physical medicine the doctor prescribed to fix him, or did God fix him? Did his prayer work? He eventually died anyway, but was it the prayer or was it the, the medicine? Here's the tough one. Was it good or bad that he lived another 15 years? How many of you got all, all those questions right? How many of you got an answer to any of them? I don't have an answer to them. I, I know ultimately God heals. I know all of that. But when we're in the midst of it, when we're not, even when we're reading about a king that lived thousands of years, we can't figure it out. And when it's us... When it's now, when we're in the middle of it, we really can't figure it out. See, our problem is our perspective 
goes just about as far as our noses. You know, that's about as far as we can see. God's perspective is infinite. God sees everything. He sees how everything fits together. He knew what Babylon was doing 15 years from now. He knew all of that. All we see is right here. We know I hurt. I want it to stop. That's what I'm going to pray for. That's what I'm going to go to the doctor for. That's all I know. We can't see the big picture. We can't see how we've our sufferings fit into the, the big picture. We can't see that there are things a whole lot worse than our situation. When we're in the middle of it, this is the worst thing in the world. And I want it fixed. That's all we know. So what's the answer to this? Some of you know because you've been here a few weeks. What's the answer to every lesson we've had so far? Faith. That's where we started. What's the answer to facing down our fears? Faith. Am I saying that's easy? No. I feel a little bit silly even even talking about this topic, looking out and seeing some of the folks that are in this audience that know a whole lot more about it than I do. They've been through some really tough stuff. And they know firsthand how faith deals with that fear. But I know that's the answer. Just because I haven't been through it doesn't mean it's not the right answer. It is the right answer. Faith faces down this fear. I don't know who causes it. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know how my sufferings fit in the big picture. But God does. And that's the answer, is trusting Him to take care of it. There's the reason for this. There's good that's going to come out of it. Same answer we found every time. All right, let's get practical for just a few minutes here real quick. So, some of you work in the field of illness, of hospitals, of nursing homes, and wheelchairs, and health care, all of that. Some of you are caregivers. Uh, some of you are patients. And people that have been involved in it or that you've had a parent who was ill or whatever, you know that some people handle it better than others. You know, some people, this faith outweighs the fear more than other people. I know I've visited a few sick people in my day, a few dying people in my day. Uh, some of them, when I visited them, I think I cheered them up a little bit. Some of them, when I went, they cheered me up. Yeah, and some of them, they depressed me. That's just facts, just truth. People handle it different. The, the, the levels of faith that you see in people are a lot different. You know what I mean. Some people let the, the disease or the fear of it or the anxiety of it or whatever uh, eat them up. It's woe is me. 
It's everything about how bad this is and how, how bad and worse it is today than it was yesterday and all and on. And some people, however, that are in a whole lot worse shape, they overcome it. They cheer you up. What's the secret? Uh, I don't know the secret. I found a list that I put on your handout, five things that I think help. Uh, all of them sound reasonable to me, and somebody in the audience that's been through bad, bad sicknesses could probably tell you how much these help or don't, but uh, I found these in a book, and I put them on your handout for you. Let's just go through them real quick. Number one, uh, these are practical things to encourage you uh, when you are in this situation of illness and disease. And number one, center your mind. Second Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and a sound mind. Uh, nobody in this room knows the power of the human mind. We know some things about it. We know attitude is an amazing thing. It's huge, especially on sickness. I mean, it can cure things. Just an attitude about things. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Paul says we ought to take every thought captive for Christ. And I'd never thought about that in this way, but when I was thinking about sickness and centering your mind and all that, I thought, you know, that verse applies. If you're sick, if you, you, your bad illness, your disease, whatever, and things aren't going well, and a thought comes into your mind, that says, man, I am sick. I am worse than I was yesterday. I'm dying. I'm horrible. Where did that thought come from? Well, you can say it came from Satan if you want. I think you're probably right. But I'll tell you one thing for sure. It didn't come from faith. It didn't come from that strong faith side of you. You can say it came from reality. You can say it came from a lot of places. But Paul says, take every thought captive. How about just capturing that thought? Just, just grabbing that thing and say, I'm going to lock you up, and I'm not going to listen to you again. You say, well, that's easy for you to say. Well, some people know how to do that. Read about a lady named Isabel Kuhn who was fighting cancer. She wrote this I had to refuse to allow my imagination to play with my future. That future, I believe, is ordered of God, and no man can guess it. For me to let myself imagine how or when the end would come was not only unprofitable, it was definitely harmful. So I had to bring my thoughts into captivity that they might not dishonor Christ. She worked at that. She centered her mind working on what she needed to work on. Number two, count your blessings. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 said, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Ephesians 1.3 talks about that we have every spiritual blessing. If you read that verse, what if you read it and it said this? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, when we are well and healthy, has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That phrase isn't in there, is it? It doesn't say we're blessed with every spiritual blessing when we're feeling good. 
It says we have every spiritual blessing. We can be thankful for that. That's the spiritual side. But even the physical side, we can bless God. read about a man named Ed Dobson. He had ALS, Lou, Lou Gehrig's disease, horrible disease. Your muscles degenerate. Your mind stays sharp, but your body just goes away. It's terminal. There's no cause. There's no cure, no. He, he developed a routine to deal with this point here, counting his blessings. He said every day he began by blessing God for all the things that he could think of that he could still do. Now, if you know what ALS is, you can do less and less all the time. But instead of thinking about what he had lost, he began every morning by thanking, blessing God for what he could still do. I bless God that I can still button buttons. I bless God that I can still get food to my mouth. Although I can't do it with my right hand, I can still get food to my mouth. I bless God that I can still shower. Now, later he wouldn't be able to do those things, but that was his routine to focus on the things he could bless God for. Every day, count your blessings. Number three, Continue your work. Ephesians 2.10 says, We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's what we're saved for. Well, at least that's what we're left here for. Well, we're saved for eternity. But if that was all there was, as soon as we were baptized, we'd disappear. He'd just take us right on up there. Yeah, but he leaves us here, and the reason he leaves us here, Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, he's got good things for us to do. Well, we're supposed to do good works. And you say, well, if I'm ill, I'm sick, I got this disease, I don't feel like it. Well, so what? The point is, do it anyway. Do some good works. Jerry West, the NBA star, said, you can't get much done in life. If you only work on the days when you feel good. You know, sometimes you've got to work when you don't feel good. Well, that applies to Christianity, I think. Well, when Dad moved to the retirement home community a few years ago, when he was 87, I believe, uh, he was losing a lot of his physical ability and all that, but uh, the old folks over there asked him to teach a Bible study. And he hemmed and hawed around about it. He wasn't able to do that, and he couldn't do this and all that, but you could tell he wanted to. And he went ahead and did it. And he, he didn't have his full library like he used to. In fact, he had a Bible and a, his old concordance was about it. But he'd fiddle with it all week and work on those lessons and get it all together. I'm pretty sure it added a year or so to his life. I don't know if it did or not. Uh, but if it didn't, it taught some folks the Bible. Okay. Uh, there was a good work there that God had for him to do. Continue your work. Number four, claim your promises. Jesus said, and we read this when we started about Lazarus. He said, this sickness is not unto death. It's for the glory of God. Okay. Now, he didn't say that Lazarus wouldn't die, that his sickness didn't include death. What he really said was it wouldn't end in death. 
this sickness. Now, he's going to die eventually because everybody does. But he said, this sickness, there's a purpose for this. It's for the glory of God. That's a promise. you just got to look for that when you're in this situation. Some funerals preach a sermon all by themselves. You don't have to make a sermon up. You just tell what the person's life was like especially during their illness or disease or the hard times. I helped with one funeral. I was a part of it. Brother Troy Pemberton, many of you remember him. He was here for a while at Northside. While he was here, he contracted ALS disease, Lou Gehrig's disease. After the doctor told him that's what the diagnosis was, he, I remember him coming to my office one day and talking about it, and he said, I, I don't want to make a plan. You know, I want to know what I can do to have the most impact with this. And we talked about keeping a journal and about writing down the things he could do and thoughts he had and a number of other things. Well, when I helped with his funeral, it went on and on for a long time because his life just preached a sermon. He believed that there was a purpose for his illness. And he would affect other people. And anybody that was at that funeral was affected. Number five, consider your future. Romans 8, 18, we read that at the start. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's an amazing statement. I mean, there are some really, really, really bad sufferings in this world. I look at some people's situations, the the mess that they're in physically, and I think, man, I couldn't handle that. I couldn't deal with it. And Paul says that suffering. And if I told you the worst one I could think of, you'd know a worse one. Paul says that suffering, not to be compared with what we got coming. Not in the same league. I read one illustration sometime. A man wrote that suppose you got an envelope in the mail that told you you just won a trip around the world. All expense paid, private jets, five-star hotels, everything paid for. Take somebody with you. Greatest trip of the lifetime. And while you were opening that envelope, you, you got a paper cut. And you read all the information, but you said, man, this hurts so bad. My paper cut, this is killing me. You say, you got to be kidding. Somebody's just told they got an around-the-world trip, all expense paid, private jets, worrying about a paper cut? That's what Paul says. He said, your present suffering, it doesn't compare. Not in the same league. That's what you're going to get. And that's where the faith comes. That's one part of the faith. That's one way to deal with this problem that we have. The faith answers it. Final story, Dr. Thigpen, Jonathan Thigpen. When he was 45, he went to the doctor. He had some muscle problems that he felt. Diagnosis was ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. He wrote about it. He said that day that I went to the doctor... I remember walking out of the doctor's office, 
And deep in the pit of my stomach, there was a feeling of overwhelming fear. I felt like I was being hugged by something so dark and so horrible that I can't describe it. He said, as I walked to my car and was thinking about this, he said, an old familiar voice entered my memory. It was his father. His father was a pastor, and young Jonathan used to go with him when he'd visit sick people at the hospital and other places. The old man always used Psalm 46 to comfort people. He always told them, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. And he said, as I reached my car, the black clouds over my spirit started to go away. God was still in control. I knew it. I didn't have any answers. But I knew fear cannot stand in the face of a faith and a God who does not change. He said, my fear had left. That's the way we face down this fear. Same way we face them all down, faith in our God. Next week, we're going to talk about being broken homeless. How did that happen? Losing everything, financial disaster. May not be your fear, but we're going to talk about it next week. Lesson is yours. I pray that, I pray that illness, serious illness, it never is a part of my life. I pray that's never a part of your life. Uh, but if it is, I pray that the glory will go to God by our faith. If you need to respond this morning, we'll be happy to receive you. If you want to put Christ on in baptism or talk to this family about anything, the elders will be at the front. Let's stand and sing.